All right. Good morning. I hope that you're doing well today. Um, I hope that you are blessed spiritually and physically. And, um, you know, here we are, another Sunday, and uh, we're meeting together in kind of a digital format. And I just, I truly hope that you are blessed. I think you will notice today that our venue is a little bit different. I think it might be kind of hard, but I think some of you might recognize that we're in the adult uh, Wednesday and Sunday uh, school classroom. And we're going to try a couple of different things. Um, we're going to move around a little bit maybe over the next couple of weeks. Um, we're working a little bit, trying to get a little better sound. And maybe the thought that maybe, um, you know, you might like to see different parts of the building um, that you might be missing being at church. So um, there are probably some times we're going to go to different places. All right. Today, the sermon title is Fortitude, and we're going to jump into that here in a minute, and, and you can just imagine we're going to go, and we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about that, and what it means in the aspect of today, what's going on, and all of that good stuff. But before we do, I'm going to, I'm going to do a couple of things today a little bit different. I hope you'll enjoy or find it interesting. Um, but before we do, um, I've got a newsflash for you today, uh, something a little different. And um, I want to share something with you uh, right off the bat that has been kind of going through my mind a lot here lately as I enjoy the beauty. Uh, I noticed yesterday that we had some dogwoods that were blooming now. So we've had the red buds. We've had now we have the dogwoods. It's just such a absolutely gorgeous time of year. I know the weather's very unpredictable, but it is such a beautiful time of year. There was a minister by the name of Maltby or Maltby Davenport Babcock. He lived in Lockport, New York. My understanding is is that he would tell his wife before he would go for his walks where he would look out over the scenery and beautiful Lake Ontario. He would tell his wife, I'm going out to see my father's world. Well, I have a little bit of news for you today, and I'm going to deliver it just a tad bit differently. And I want you to frame it in the framework of not only the beautiful season that we're in, but everything that's going on in the world and any angst that you may have felt or any angst that you may be feeling. I want you to think about these words. <clears throat> this is my father's world and to my listening ears. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, His hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget 
that though the wrong seems of so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. He speaks to me everywhere. Did you hear the words to the second verse? Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. I have a newsflash. God is in control. God is the ruler. God is good all the time. And no matter what's going on and no matter what continues to go on, we need to realize, and I think in our hearts, we need to sing our Maker's praise. And I don't think that's very difficult right now. I don't think it's very difficult to go outside and to see the beauty and to realize that God speaks to us everywhere. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you today and we realize that this is your world. And we realize that you are in control. And we realize, Heavenly Father, that the earth is coming back to life newness of life but we realize that the that really the the newness of life is what we have spiritually and i think heavenly father and because i think it doesn't make it so but i think that sometimes we get in ruts or sometimes familiarity as they say breeds contempt and we forget about our excitement and we forget about our passion and we forget that this newness of life can be had daily. It's simply an application of the mind. It's an expression of the Spirit. We can communicate with you. We can sing your praises. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that we will sing your praises from the rooftops of our hearts and that we will enjoy your majestic creation and the beautiful tapestry that you created, that you simply spoke into existence. And Heavenly Father, we realize like Solomon that we are young children. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need your strength, for you are our rock. You are our deliverer. You are our fortress in times of need. And Heavenly Father, we want to come to you with thankfulness in our hearts, and we want to pour out our love. We want to offer up the sacrifice of praise and the fruit of our lips. For you, Lord, 
are worthy. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Alright, so today, I want to talk to you here in a minute about fortitude, but I told Daniel I was going to be a little bit different today, and I don't know, I hope you enjoy it. You, maybe you will. I hope, um, I hope you're blessed. I, I hope that our efforts here are helping to edify you. That is truly our prayer. Um, but I want to share something. Um, I want to share something that happened this past week. <clears throat> and I'm just going to share it because it's just kind of a funny story. Some of you will get a chuckle. Because I think that it, we've been so serious, and I know I've been real serious, and I because I've, I've felt like that I needed to be serious, um, you know, but, and it's not that I don't feel like I don't need to be serious now, it's just, I don't see anything wrong with having maybe a little bit of a laugh or a little bit of humor. So here we go. Maybe you'll get a little bit of a humor out of this. Maybe not, but here we go. This is a bush sitting right outside of my uh, front porch. We have a concrete covered front porch. And honestly, here goes. This is the prettiest bush that I have. It's the prettiest bush of all the landscaping around the porch. Well, I'm out in the yard over here the other day, and I'm doing some weeding, and I'm doing some working, and all of a sudden, I, out of the corner of my eye, I see Tristan come out, coming out of the front door, and then I, see, I hear her scream. Well, I look over, and there is this snake. There's this snake on the front porch. And she kind of runs off the front porch, and, and obviously, you know, I, we don't want the snake on the front porch. And all of a sudden, the snake, it kind of slithers across the porch, and it goes in this bush. Well, when it goes in the bush, I'm thinking, bright idea. I'm thinking, I'm going to get this snake. So I fire my weed eater back up, and I jump on the porch from the other side, and I'm thinking, what I'll do is I'll just get up real close, and I'll just whack that snake. Well, I get up real close, and as I'm getting up real close, I, I go like this, and as I go like this, the weed eater's got a little bit more torque than I realized it was going to have, and all of a sudden, I hit my bush. I throw big chunks of my bush, this big divot in my bush now. I throw chunks of the bush all over the porch. The snake, he shoots out of this bush and goes over to the other bush, and I'm sitting there, and my, my wife's out in the yard. She's mowing, and she's watching, and Tristan's watching, and their faces are like, what are you doing? So I, take the, so I take the weed eater, and I shut it off, and I set it on the porch, and I say to Tristan, I say, wait, I'll be right back. And I run down to the garage, and I get a shovel. And I get the shovel, and I come back up, and I've got this shovel. And I jump on the porch from the other angle, and this snake is in the bush, and I know I can't hit him in the bush, you know, on the other side. So I turn the shovel around to the handle side, and I tell Tristan, I say, okay, Tristan, I'm going to throw this snake out there. You get out of the way. So she backs up. And I didn't realize at the time, but she's holding the broom, this tea broom that's normally on the porch. She's holding it. So I reach in with my shovel and with the handle, and I get a hold, I get just under the snake, and I flip like this real hard, and he goes out about, goes sailing out about six or seven feet, lands in the yard, and takes off coming back towards the bush. But he stops, and I'm thinking this is perfect. I flip my shovel, and I'm poised, and I'm getting ready to jump out and get this snake. And Tristan, right at that second, she comes running up with this T-shaped broom, and she swings as hard as she can. And all I see is part of the broom going this way and part of the broom going that way. And the snake, he goes right back into the bush, and I'm yelling at her, and she's yelling at me. And I look down, and I don't see a snake. And I have no idea where he went. I told Daniel earlier, I said, for all I know, he's in our house. 
I got a daughter that's mad at me because I yelled at her. I've got pieces of broom laying all over the yard and I've got junk all over my porch from my best bush that a divot that I now have and the snake escaped. I have no idea where he went. Now, what's the moral to this story? I have absolutely no idea. But if it allows you to have a little bit of a chuckle, then it's worth the telling. Today, we're going to talk about fortitude. We're going to talk about what that means. It was funny because I, I sent to Daniel the other day and I said, hey, I think I want to talk about fortitude this Sunday. And Daniel says, well, that's good. I like forts. And so what is the definition of fortitude? Well, the definition of fortitude is a it, it is courage in pain or adversity. Courage in pain or adversity. All right, is the definition of fortitude. Well, I thought it would be interesting to look at some synonyms of fortitude. So what are some synonyms? And you know that a synonym is a word that means the same thing as another word. So here it is. One of the synonyms is courage, bravery, strength of mind, strength of character, moral strength, toughness of spirit, firmness of purpose, Strong-mindedness, resilience, backbone, spine, metal. And I like that word, metal. And the word spirit. Having some spirit about us. And not the Holy Spirit, but spirit. And then there's another word that I believe is a really good synonym uh, for fortitude. A word that kind of has always kind of resonated with me. And that word is the word grit. And I don't know why that word has always kind of resonated with me, but the idea, and perhaps, and I'll share this with you here in a second, and I know some of you, are, some of my John Wayne fans will, will be happy. Some of you could care less. But, um, and maybe that's why, maybe that's why this word grit has always resonated with me when, when it comes to thinking about fortitude. You know, um, uh, bravery, strength of mind, character, all of these toughness of spirit, all of these things that fortitude, uh, having fortitude or possessing fortitude means. Um, it reminds me of the movie, uh, and some of you will recognize uh, Matty Ross. And Matty Ross says to Rooster Cogburn, she says, they tell me you are a man with true grit. Now, for those of you that have ever watched the movie, obviously you do know that Rooster had a lot of grit. He had a lot of flaws too. Uh, but many of you will also know, I believe, if I am not mistaken, that that particular movie was the only movie that uh, John Wayne ever won an Academy Award for. And maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that is the case. And Maddie says to him, I believe, or I have been told, that you are a man with true grit. It reminds me of another quote that we sometimes see attributed to John Wayne. And obviously, I'm a John Wayne fan. All you have to do is go into my office and you see that. Um, although I've never really embodied the talk low, talk slow, and don't talk too much. I thought I better throw that one in there before some of you sing me. Um, another John Wayne uh, kind of attributed quote is that kind of resonates with me is 
Courage is being scared to death, but sadly enough anyway. And I believe that's kind of a poignant statement right there. We can be scared, but fortitude is facing being scared, which doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that you even willingly do it. It means that sometimes we just put on our work pants and, and we go to it. And that, I believe, is fortitude. doesn't mean you can't be scared, but you saddle up anyway. And I think that perhaps there's going to come a point in the very near future where we may still have some angst or some fear, but we're going to saddle up anyway. Now, I know another man that had true grit. The book of Isaiah 53 and verse 7 says, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, so he opened not his mouth. I don't think we understand the resilience of our Savior, of our Messiah. I don't think we understand the toughness. I don't think we understand the fortitude. And a lot of times you hear the term intestinal fortitude. I don't believe we understand what it was like. In fact, I know we don't because none of us have suffered the beating that that man suffered. None of us have been compelled to bear our own cross. None of us have been falsely accused in a venue where we could lose our life, yet we did not open our mouths. We'd be singing like canaries. We'd be yelling. We would be talking about the injustice. I know a man with true grit, and his name is Jesus. So I have a question, and my question is this. So, showing fortitude means the absence of fear, anxiety, anguish, anger, love, and passion. In other words, you know, because you got to think about this. I mean, you're always tough. So if, you're, if you've got fortitude, then, and I'm just asking because we, we need to make sure we kind of have this, um, if we're, we, can, we can throw out Webster Dictionary definitions of something, but what is sort of our working definition of fortitude? Is it, you know, you know the no-nonsense, um, I'm tough as nails, you know, I eat gravel for breakfast. I don't ever show any emotion, and I'm never scared, and I'm never, ever anxious. Is that going to be our working definition of fortitude? Because I seemingly inferred that with the last slide when I showed our Savior and talked about the the, the, the tr trials and tribulations and the beating and the harshness that he endured, yet he did not open his mouth. Well, so right now, I need for you to think about what fortitude means to you. And I'm going to give you our biblical text for today. And it is John chapter 11. And if you want to get your Bibles, I would recommend that because I'm going to read several verses 
and then I'm going to make two or three quick points at the end. John chapter 11 is the chapter where Jesus is compelled to go because Lazarus is sick, but ultimately we know that Lazarus dies before Jesus gets there because Jesus spends an additional two days where he is at knowing that Lazarus is going to die. Let's read together. John chapter 11. And as we read, you need to make mental note, if you would please, that eventually I want to tie this chapter in to what it means to have fortitude. Whichever synonym or whichever definition you choose to apply. Let's begin. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I'm going to take a really short break there, and here's what I'm going to say. It appears to me that resiliency, it appears to me that fortitude, it appears to me that whichever synonym you choose, it's okay to be in love with all sorts of things. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Courage is being scared to death. But saddling up anyway. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go also that we may die with him. Wow! This is doubting Thomas. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to go on record when I say this. I get so doggone tired of hearing about doubting Thomas. You know, it's like, what sells newspapers? Nothing but bad news. Thomas says, let us go that we may die with him. You want to talk about fortitude. You want to talk about strength of character. You want to talk about staying the course. 
Thomas had a small moment of doubt when he was not with the other disciples and he gets labeled for generations to come. That's unfair. I would also point out that Jesus says, it was good for your sake that I wasn't there and I've always thought that that probably meant that Jesus loved Lazarus so much that he would not have allowed him to die. Perhaps I'm wrong. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And I'm going to interrupt myself there for just a second. This is Martha. This is Martha. Martha's the one that always gets a bum rap for wanting to cook for Jesus while Mary wanted to learn. Martha makes the same basic explanation, not explanation, but, but proclamation of faith that Peter made. And Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon of Arjona, for this has not been revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That foundational statement of belief was made by a woman right here in this passage. And it means just as much as if it had been made by a man. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. We always say, oh, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. It is an extremely meaningful verse in the Bible.
may have to edit. To think to think that our Messiah <clears throat> could feel our pain. To that sort of level. Now that's a man I want to follow. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't think it's too hard to be happy with people when they're happy. I think what really tells the tale of your friendship is when they come to you and sit with you in the ashes and don't say a word for seven days. Now those are the friends I want. Jesus wept. This man of incredible fortitude, this man of incredible strength, this man of resilience, this man of strong-mindedness, this man of faithfulness, this man of spirit, this man of strength, wept at the passing of his friend. I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm going to go on record as telling you, John Wayne was a fictional character created by a producer. Real men are men that are in touch with their emotions, not men that deny them. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, what do we learn? What do we learn from this reading? Well, here it is. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, but in my opinion, we learn that being fully human and fully divine can go hand in hand. And I would extend to you, once again, in my humble opinion, that that also applies to us because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. We have divinity within us. Yes, we're also humans. We get scared. 
but we saddle up anyway. Being fully human and fully divine can go hand in hand. And lastly, and here it is, I believe that over the years, the wrong impression has often been painted of what it means to have fortitude. I especially think, and in this case, ladies, I mean no disrespect, but I especially think that it has been falsely portrayed to men. What does it mean to have true grit? What does it mean to have fortitude? Does it mean that you can't get scared? I don't think so. Does it mean that you can't get giddy? I don't think so. Does it mean that you can't get anxious? No, I don't think so. Does it mean that you can't have a moment of worry? I, I don't think so. Does it mean that you're not at some point in time going to get angry? I, I don't think so. Does it mean that you're not going to get frustrated? Uh, I don't think so. Does it mean that you're not going to get tired? No, I don't think so. I think that true grit and fortitude is found in those who own their feelings and act accordingly. We can have true grit with the help of our Savior, with the help of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit. For you were not given a spirit of timidity, but of love, power, and self-discipline. We can do it, but we're not going to do it by ourselves. And we're going to have moments. And some of those moments, and if you don't hear anything else that I say today, this is the last thing that I'm going to say. Some of those moments are just fine. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to shed a tear. It's okay to have human emotion. Particularly human emotion that actually makes us stronger. If you're going to cry when I cry, and you're going to laugh when I laugh, then you are identifying with me in a way that is deep and meaningful. And there's no weakness in any of that. In my opinion, you not only do you have fortitude, you have true grit. And the last slide. I'm going to keep hammering on this on you for a while here. Reach out. Call someone. Text someone. We were all talking in here earlier this morning. I read once where it takes seven days to develop a habit. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. We got, we, we got to have good habits, but I don't want to talk about good habits. I want to talk about we cannot get out of the habit. Listen, some of you are hermits, and you've thoroughly enjoyed your cave time. And that's okay. But we have got to stay together. We have got to lift one another up. We have got to edify one another. And we have got to let people know that we're thinking about them. 
It takes mere seconds sometimes to, to send somebody a text or an email or to, or to, or to, and I know it takes longer to make a phone call, but you know, what is the investment worth? Because your most precious commodity is not your money, it's your time. So if you're willing to invest a little bit of your time, we can stay together, we can strengthen one another, and possibly, as I said in the last sermon, let's come out of this tunnel stronger than we were before. Let's come out of this tunnel with an increased a sense of appreciation, a heightened sense of appreciation for the unity of the saints and a holy convocation, and let's come out of this with a heightened sense of fortitude. We thank you and we love you. Take care.